Welcome to the second episode of the Welsh Football Podcast. This week I'm speaking to Craig Harrison. Thanks, Craig, for coming on. No problem. Um, first of all, you've had you won the Welsh Premier League six times as yeah. manager. Was that a great achievement, and that you want to do that with No Man's as well? Yeah, without a doubt. You know, something that. I think to, to, to do it six times in a row, obviously it's always hard winning a, a title once, but to do it six times in a row is even even harder. You know, you just you, you don't realise until you're in the in the moment that, you know, everyone wants to beat you the next time and you know, to win it six times in a row, you know, I very, very lucky that I had a fantastic group of players, fantastic group of staff, you know, a chairman with Mike Harris and his and Ian Williams and Helen Harris that that supported me 100 percent in you know it was it was I just the relentlessness of wanting to win I think all stems from me finishing football at a younger age through through injury that I always felt I never fulfilled my my potential not through my own doing but through through being taken away through just misfortune really and that was always the I wanted to try and surpass and fulfil my career as a manager, stroke coach, whatever level, whatever club and you know, and I was very fortunate to have a, a real, you know, smooth running machine at TNS that, you know, we, we tweaked and were added to year on year. You won thirteen titles at TNS, uh, six Welsh Prem, four Welsh Cups yeah. and three League Cups. Yeah. Was it about um just going out and winning Everything was that what your philosophy was? Yeah, it was without a doubt. You know, we used to we used to have a a team meeting at the start of the season when all the new players come in, and we'd get pre-season out of the way, and just before the season started, and and we'd we'd, we'd put down the markers where we wanted to be, and, and the whole everything was to win everything. The whole thing was to win League Cup, Welsh Cup, and League. Obviously, the Welsh Premier League was priority because of the financial, you know, rewards for that, which run the club, paid for the budget. And some, you know, there was profit in there as well for the owners with going through in Europe and so on and so forth. But it was just that the strength of the squad we had, which I think is mass- massively key. You know, I tried to bring two players in for every position, so it wasn't so much. It, 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 I don't want to sound to the detriment of other teams in the league because it's certainly not, but the, the competition. 99 times out of 100 come from within knowing that if you didn't play well got injured without the team for even one or two weeks you might not get back in for seven eight nine ten weeks you know where a lot of teams haven't got the resources to do that and they've got three or four players that are in the team no matter what they might miss a game because of injury suspension just first back in we fortunately never really had that we had the competition from within was huge you know and that was um something that our pushed for with Mike and, and something I thought that was massive at the time that we had players that were competitive and no one just thought they were going to play every week You said about certain players um, sometimes if they got injuries or suspensions they wouldn't be in. was that hard to manage or was that easy because of the players you got? It, it was it was probably I could have quite easily just had 15 top class players and, and just got on with it and made it easy for me but I wanted that, I wanted the challenge, I wanted the competitiveness, I wanted that nature of training every day to be competitive and there was something on the line every single day in training. You know, I'm a big believer in that. You know, you train how you play. You know, you, you train poor and you'll end up playing how you play. You don't just switch it on on a Saturday. You know, it's a process. When you think about full-time training, it's it's a process at the end of 
sorry it's the outcome at the end of the process of Saturday obviously it's the most important part of the part of the job as a manager yeah, yeah. you need to win football games you can't say oh well we trained well this week but you've got to be on a Saturday you know that's not going to wash with anyone and, and it so it shouldn't but I do believe if you get the Monday to Friday right then the rest will a lot of the time look after itself in our training used to be very very good it's probably everyone's um, thought when you see TNS winning every time. How, how did you keep the uh, the feel factor of just going to win every year? Was it hard to? Yeah, I think it's 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 always a challenge keep keep winning because you know it's the probably the not the easiest but. The easiest part of that whole process is winning your first one. The hardest part is second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever, wherever you may go on and win. You know, but like I said, you know that that was probably for me. Getting on the players every day had high standards, got high standards, in demanding of the players every day. Sometimes I must think. Give the rest, Craig. Will you? We're 10, 12, 15 points ahead, and you know whether it's the first game of the season or the last game of the season. You know, it's the standards. I think of, of of what you expect, and again, that was that was all driven from from me having a chip on my shoulder, if you like, in a, in a burning desire of of, play, of leaving football at a, at a professional level without at 25 years old, without sort of fulfilling my potential. So I've always said from that day on, once I got back involved with football, that I wouldn't waste a single day. I was involved with full time football or any football that I'm getting paid for. I wouldn't waste a day. Was it was it easier to um, go into every game with the plays you had? It's yeah, nice. yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Of course, it was. We, we had a clear identity of how we played, a clear style, a clear formation. I can only remember on a handful of occasions where we've changed our formation because of. I think I think in the end I, I was it was the best part of three hundred games. I think I was manager TNS through league and cup and and I can only remember. A handful of occasions that we we did change formation, and it'd only be a tweak. I think the biggest form, the biggest formation changes were changed against Applewell Nicosia at home to a four four two, but dropped our two centre forwards back into their two centre midfielders and let the two centre halves have the ball and had two two banks of four. So instead of having the one up there and the one dropped on a four and a five, we had one almost had like a. <laughs> it two where you where your normal midfielders would be, and then two screeners where your centre halves would be, yeah. wingers in tight, and then your back four deep and, and almost a really low block and compact and and narrow and and, and we've done that at home and away, and we, we drew nil nil at home and I think it was got to be three nil away, but they didn't score their first goal till the sixty fourth minute away in Nicosia, which you know at the time I think it was only three four years previous to that Nicosia playing Real Madrid. In the group stages, I'd say knockout. Played Tottenham last year. Yes, yeah. In yeah. so we all know how good they were. So, so it was, it was, yeah. So that was always easier. It was straightforward for players coming in and coming out. We didn't chop and change. We didn't really change our formation. We never changed our style of play. Even when we played in Europe, it was always a possession-based game plan. With obviously sometimes you'd see some of the European teams maybe weaker from set players and than what domestic were. So we, we would even though we didn't have the biggest team, we would still try and play on that a little bit more and, and expose weaknesses. But we were always all nearly always around a four-three-three and a possession-based. So it, it was everyone knew what they were doing. They knew the jobs inside out. You um, we'll, we'll talk about Europe in a minute. Um, where did the possession base? football come from was that a to, to, of yours? to be honest it was something that had been a TNS before me 
it was probably I had it, I was with Airbus beforehand. <clears throat> I was there for six months as assistant manager with Gareth Owen. Then I think I was there for I think it was, it was around about eighteen months, or might have been a bit longer. Actually, it was actually might have been two and a half years with me as the manager, where Gareth left to go to Rill. You know, the year Rill won the Welsh Premier League, and Gareth was um, player of the year. Gareth was player manager and he brought me in as assistant and then he left and I, like I said I become manager so but I was always I always wanted to play possession based football um, it's something that I believe in and I, th- I think probably at the time it was a bit things coincided that when I went to Airbus I met Carl Dalton through coach education when I first went to Airbus I'd never had any coaching badges at all and I had no interest in being involved with football after what had happened. I'd been out of football for four or five years and I had no interest in getting back in it. It was just a, a coincidence that we fell into it. And then then uh, Gareth left. Uh, I met Carl Dalton on coach education on my C&B licence, was the FAW. Carl was, I think, sort of like assistant coach at Druids with Wayne Phillips and Lee Jones. And I got on really well with Carl and brought Carl to Airbus with me and my two years of success there. Where I believe, don't get me wrong, Airbus getting into Europe was a fantastic achievement. But I believe the year that I took over as manager, getting them from the old format of 18 to 12 was a big achievement because of the the budget we had. The, you know, I remember there's, be, there's plenty of times at Airbus when Andy Thomas, who had finished playing, who was a, a first-team coach, had to be on the bench as a third-man sub because we'd used all the budget on the starting eleven. So we would, times we had th- uh, three subs, but Tom was one of them. And if you had to come on, you had to come on. And, and just, just to save budget, obviously, you know, the, the resources were a bit more when Airbus got into Europe, you know, and they had some fantastic players and they had some fantastic achievements. But I just believe with the relativity of, of budget and where we were and how we played in the young squad we had, you know, you've got to look at it then. We had a, you know, a young Matty Cook, young Mark Cadwalder, uh, young Matty Woodward, a young Ashley Williams, a young Ryan Edwards, a young Jack Abraham. I think other ones, and, and not so young Mark Mark um, Williams, Juice, yeah, who yeah. who scored with goals to get in there. Yeah. Um, Carl Owen, who was a bit of a senior player, a younger Reese Roberts, who was a Carnarvon, who's still yeah. playing now. So you know, we had a real 13, 14, 15 players of of a real good hub of good lads, with the with the senior ones, the likes of Mark Allen as well, who's assistant coach there now. You know, and Danny Desormo. So we, we had some young players, and we played some good football at the time. And it, I think it finished with seventh. Yeah. I think in the eighteen team league, where teams that were much had a bigger history, Kevin Druids, Druid, yeah. Connors Key, yeah. Porth Maddock, um, obviously Kai Seuss at the time were a bigger club than Airbus yeah. were yeah. historically, and we, we all we got into that Super Twelve, and that was a, the the stepping stone. To, to move on for Airbus Football Club obviously they're back in the huge grey lines at this moment in time which it looks like they're going to get promoted back into the Welsh Premier League and you know and that was that to really looking back probably had the least budget I've ever worked with including Bangor in probably the, the most productive pound for pound 
achievement getting Airbus into that in, in a huge point in Welsh football where it's gone from 18 domestically to 12 and you know I believe it's the right thing I, I know supporters don't and I and agree with that on a, on a certain point because I remember I think it was the first or second year I went to TNS and we played Airbus six times in one season four times in the league once in the League Cup once in the Welsh Cup and it does get boring there's no doubt about it it's one of them things you're pulling your hair out and it almost loses every time you play each other so by the third fourth or fifth time it just loses a little bit of intensity for everyone you know so I, I do agree with that but I do think that the, the Super 12 Certainly, the second half of the season, if you're in the top six, prepares all our domestic teams better for Europe. You said um, we'll, we'll talk about Airbus. Yeah. You, you came out of the um, professional game. Mm. You said you didn't want to get back involved with football. Yeah. I, I remember. You, I think you were speaking to the last Premier League podcast last week. Yeah. You said to Jamie that you had a phone call. Uh, well, birthday. To yes. Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah. What was that like going from professional games to where? There's no disrespect to watch system or that. Very, so. very frustrating. And in the lads who would have been there at the time, who I'm, strange enough, still quite good friends with a lot of them. Ryan Edwards, Mark Cadwalder, Ashley Williams, still speak to on a regular basis. Danny DeZormo, uh, Philly Molyneux, who's at Buckley now. You know, they've probably seen the worst side of me as a person and as the manager through frustration, pure frustration about I never quite understood. Sort of had a little bit of a banger, but we'll go forward with that and I'll explain my situation there with that. That I'd never been involved with part-time football and I come in and as assistant manager, you sort of get on with it a bit more and you, you know, but when you're the manager, I just couldn't understand why football wasn't the most important thing to these people because it always has been for my life and I was going yeah. back into it and then I think it was only when I had a daughter of my own who's seven now and I could could relate to these lads that are going well and then I come out of full-time football and I seen I'd never had a job before I'd always been in full-time football and I couldn't quite like understand why on a Tuesday and Thursday night some lads weren't coming some lads were turning up like a bag of spanners and I was just like, come on, lads, we're playing for, you know, and for me, because I didn't have a job during the day, I'd been waiting all week and all day to go, right, Tuesday night, we're bang at it, Thursday night, we're at it, right, let's go, training, I wanted everyone enthusiasm, and, and I'm a quite intense person when it comes to playing football, quite laid back when you come away from it, but as in football, you know, I'm, I'm an intense person, I want things done the way I want them done, and it was a real learning curve, massive learning curve, and I fell out with a lot of people, and, but I think they understood and it was one of them in time I, I got on with it and I, I, I learned how to control it more than you know and it was down to me not down to them because the part time players and they couldn't come up to the standards of a full time player I had to lower my not lower my expectations because I never have and never would but I just had to find a different way to deal with it Did you find it hard? Done. Very hard. Very hardest, true. the hardest thing, the hardest thing I've dealt with in, in being involved with football is that frustration of of not, not not just like players not being of a certain quality because I, I understand that you know we've all been the best player in a football team at some time we've all been the, probably the weak link in a football team whatever level everyone's played it including myself I played in some fantastic Premier League teams where I was the young lad and probably the least well known and you know and not the best player on the pitch at the time 
you know, but as coming through as a kid, I've been the best player on the pitch. So you, you know that, and I understood that. I just, it was the other side. It was the professionalism. It was the right we're here for training. Everyone needs to work hard. You know, I said it there, but said it at TNS, said it at Hartlepool, said it at Banger. Wherever I've been as a manager, all I want is that the moment you come in the car park at our football club to train or to play, it's the most important place in the world, and I'll accept everything else, more so with part time, because. It is part time. What we say, the rest are professional, and you've got a bit more control over them, and you got you can have higher standards. But that's that's what I've expected, and that was the biggest thing—the frustration, not not the ability of the players. Because to be fair, I've worked with some good players, and you know, and a lot of them players have played at a good level academy-wise, and went from Airbus and played at a better level than what were playing at the time. You know, and really enjoyed it, and, and never really frustrated us too much. Because I enjoy working with players that we can learn and we can we can we can move on together, but it was that like right, I couldn't understand tired after work, couldn't understand oh well my wife's worked late today so I, I missed half an hour of training or it was just something that because I'd never experienced before. Yeah, um, you then went to CNS. Was that just because the full time? Yeah, it, it, I'm. I'm ambitious. No matter what anyone says, I'm. Ambi- I was ambitious as a player. Sometimes to my detriment. You know, I moved. I moved club from Middlesbrough probably too early. Through me, my impatience and wanting to play football. At the time, I was twenty, twenty-one, and I'd I'd played in the first team. I played in the championship. I played in the Premier League. The club had got promoted the Premier League. We brought better players in. You know, players like Christian Ziga were playing left back in front of us, signed a long term contract, but it wasn't. I wanted to play football, so I wanted to go out and loan. And whether that was dropping down to the Championship, then I'd accepted it. So I'm, I'm quite an impatient person when it comes to. I'm impatient, quite strong willed, and possibly pig headed, my wife would probably say, and people that have worked with us. In a, if I want something, I, I've got a clear plan and a clear direction where I want to go. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong, but it's been my way and the way I wanted to do it. And it was, and it was something that I wanted, always wanted to do, you know. And I, I think the style of football we played at Airbus because I tried to play in the connection. Carl Dalton left Airbus the year before. Mike Davis took him in as his assistant manager, and obviously there was a link there with me and Carl. The style of football I played at Airbus, the style of football TNS always wanted to play. You know, it's one thing, you know, not one thing because there's a lot of things Mike Harris should take more credit for than what he gets is that he, he wanted his football team playing a certain way and, you know, you've got to give credit for it and he made sure that football was played a certain way and, and when I went in as manager, we've got to play in a certain style, Craig. That's why we brought you in, because you were doing that at Airbus. You've got a link with Carl, you both get on really well. The dynamics between me and Carl have always been great since the moment we met. And it just it just escalated from there. So it, there was a base there already. You know, I'm not going to try and say I've reinvented the wheel of TNS far from it. They, they had good players and, they, you know, they just hit a bit of a low when they lost the league to Bangor. Yeah. And I think when I went in in the December, we were third behind Bangor and Neath, I think it was. Yeah. In... Neath obviously were a strong force at the time. You, um, you've, you obviously won that season um, on the last day against Bangor. Was it? Um, how can I say? Was it a good factor come the end of the season? You know, you, you just said you took over when they were third. Yeah. Then you, you come in and then they finished top. Was that a great achievement? Yeah, I think it always helps any manager, coach, if you've got 
some sort of substance behind what you're doing, you know, could have quite easily went the other way. You know, the, the success was probably built on that initial high of a new manager coming in, different ways of working. I'd like to think I brought high standards to the football club, high demands on everyone, and we went on to win the league in the Welsh Cup. And I think from there, it always helps, doesn't it? Players believe in a winning, no matter what you're doing, whether it's the bottom, of the, whether it's the bottom of the league or whether it's the top of the league, whether it's the highest of standards or lowest standards. If you come in as a manager, coach, and you have success straight away, then you get a lot more people on board and a lot more buy-in, a lot more belief, and it sort of escalated from there. Really, you know, I must I must say that 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 first one, not because it was banger, but just because it was my first Welsh Premier League title, then it was. And probably atmosphere-wise, it's a day that I'd never forget because there was hundreds and hundreds of banging supporters, not just in the ground, but outside the ground, before yeah, the, the stand back, was yeah. built at the back, up on the back, yeah, yeah. hanging out the trees and the noise they're making. And yeah. it, was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was a fantastic atmosphere. And we're, you know, we're, what a great way to, against the biggest rivals at the time, that won the league the year before, with a, with a good manager and a good squad. You know, and to, to be able to in my first six months or four months of being manager to go and win the league, bring it back to TNS, and that was where the building block block started to go and win six in a row. In that summer, you had the uh, uh, Champions League. Yeah. You went to Sweden. Yeah. How did they? Um, how did the preparations from the Banger game to the Euro- European game? Is it? Yeah. Obviously, the the highs of the Banger were. were, were what I am fantastic in it, it sort of carried in. It was all new for me. Obviously, the players at the time had experienced a lot more than me. Carl had experienced the year before um, with the Europa League when they didn't qualify for the Champions League. I think they got beat off Michelin in that one. And I'd actually watched the game. I was at the game, just coincidentally, just going to watch local yeah. European League football, Europa League football. So it was. Um, uh, the European month is a fantastic uh, build-up. The intensity feels like no other, you know, and that sometimes is becomes a problem for teams that are involved with, with European football. Then all of a sudden you hit the Welsh Premier League in the first couple of weeks. You can understand why people take a bit longer to air. There's no recovery. Yeah, a week or two yeah. turnover, especially. If you end up in a Welsh Cup final or a playoff final, yeah, quick mat, quick turnover. There's no really off season, and then you might you you tend to go through, and then there tends to be a two or three week wait again before you start the season. So it's that high of getting into Europe, that keeping the high of challenging, that even higher of playing in Europe. Then there's a big slump of two or three weeks, and then you've got to get back to the Welsh Premier League again. Which was always a bread and butter for certainly TNS to get go again. So you had to dust yourself down quite quickly and move on and, and almost focus yourself on remember what happened two, three weeks ago because this is why we're fighting for this to get the opportunity to play in Europe again. So it was it was tough. The year after you obviously won the league again and then you you draw the league year also. Mm. How was that experience? Mm. It was um I think probably you're talking pound for pound club that there was maybe Applewell, but I think Legia were the biggest club that I played against in the in the Champions League. And you know, it was, um, I remember um, we'd watched a lot of games myself and Carl. I think it might have been Carl went out there. 
in pre-season to go and watch them. It was either there, it was Bratislava, I can't quite remember now, but we'd watch five or six games and we were really, really fearful. Remember me and Carl going over, right, this is going to be our game plan, leading up to the game. Um, the game was being played at Wrexham. There was quite a few supporters there. There was quite a few sort of domestic Polish people there. Wrexham's yeah. got a big a big um, community of, of Polish people there. So there, there was quite a few there. It was very, I'd say, intense. We knew we were a very, very good team. I think in, in myself and Carl had planned for every eventuality but winning at half-time. And it was quite strange because the process would be, the game would go on and, you know, the players, with the half-time situation, right, give the players five minutes to themselves, see this physio, get the drinks in, me, Carl, Scotty, Evo, whoever I've worked with in the past, um, goalkeeping, we'll, we'll, we'll go into a separate room and we'd have a quick chat. Go across notes. What would what wall think? Right, okay, right. Yes, we think this. No, we don't think that. Then I would step in as manager and would would we'll go over what we're going to do. And at no point did we think that we'll be coming in at half time, winning one nil. We'd almost got into the. I think we'd done the shower area at Wrexham at the back, and we're sort of like, we're winning. What do we do now? It was almost like we didn't. We didn't. Didn't plan for that. We didn't plan for that. We yeah. certainly didn't because they were not because our players weren't good enough, but because they were such a force at the time. And it was, you know, and it obviously didn't work out. In the end, the, the beat were three one. It was almost like I think we'd we'd sort of poke the bear, and he got a bit angry, and they come out the second half, and, and, and they played really well. You know, we give a great account ourselves out there as well. But it was one of them where three one at home was probably out of our hands. You know, it was it was such a tough ask to go out there and and score two away goals. Did you um, you lost one 0 out there? Yeah. What was the message like towards your players? Is it just no fear? Just play? yeah. It, it was we knew it was going to be a hostile environment. I think there's eighteen twenty thousand there. Um, Polish supporters are very passionate, very yeah. intense. It was to go and just enjoy the game, really. Go and enjoy the game and show what we can do with no real pressure in a in a big stage pitch was fantastic surface go and play our football without any fear and we actually played really well on the night yes it's easy when there's nothing at stake per se but you know we, we played really well on the night played some great stuff to the point of where to the where the ultra, where the where the ultras were there was a guy with a big drum with microphones controlling the the crowd at one end and, and they, they give a standard ovation coming off in, in you know the lads done all they could do, you know realistically we were going to win two nil away like it also probably not no. you know I think a year later or two years later Celtic got beat six yeah the the year when Legia got thrown out for playing a player that was suspended I think it was it was either a year or eighty months later that you know they beat Celtic by six so you realise the how big the to go and get beat four one aggregate was was almost a don't get me wrong, it wasn't a good result, but you know it was a result where we could be proud of. Was it? Um, you said you had the uh, the fans cheered you off. Mm. Was that uh, one of um, an achievement? Like you know, Welsh football was not big compared to yeah. your war, so Was that yeah. proud of you? Yeah, it was without a doubt. You know, and I think the the players were fantastic on the night. They played how we want them to play. We passed the ball really well. We played out from the back. 
we played through them, we created opportunities, and I think they were. It was just a little bit of probably their appreciation that these think the minnows of Wales turn up against such a huge, you know, because in Poland, Legia Warsaw was the biggest club, you know, without a stretch of imagination, it is, you know, in the in in the year in year out, at least Europa League knockout stages and in 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 Champions League group stages early on, and so it was just a, I think. It, a pat on the back for the players really without us having to say it it's easy coming in when you're the manager and coach and going oh well done lads but I think that just the, the Polish supporters who are very passionate about football showed a little bit of appreciation of of, of the performance the lads put over two legs I've spoken to Craig Hogg and uh, Sean when they were in Europe and they said in, when they were in the tunnel they could hear their, the opposition fans uh, yeah. hostile yeah could you feel that when you were at Legia Warsaw? Uh, yeah, you could. Yeah, yeah, you could. I think you know. More the the biggest one for me more so was probably Applewell, because we're going out there nil nil. Obviously, going a three one, you'd been be three one at home against the top team. They probably think they're going through no problem. In Applewell was a was a probably the most hostile because. We drew nil nil, and it was even nil nil half time. I remember coming out, and you know, and it was a really strange. It, it went from a, a hostile environment to coming out at half time to an actual, uh, like a really nasty, quite vicious atmosphere, atmosphere. Yeah. from from intimidating but sort of banterish, and, and it went at half time for everyone. You know the manager for their opposition was getting slaughtered. The players were getting slaughtered. It was something that you know I remember speaking to the journalists after the game. Something that was said that if they hadn't won that game in full time, the manager would have got sacked without shadow. You know he hadn't been. Yes, it was. Yeah, and they, they'd already they'd already actually accounted for the money going through to the group stages. It, it would just be the worst result in in the history of Cypriot football. You know that 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 was what they were building up to the the media and, and they they couldn't believe the drew nil nil in Wales. They yeah. were flabbergasted. It was like they were disgraced the team, you know. And then to come to take it to sixty four minutes and it, it was a deflection of Steve Saunders as well. Yeah. I remember quite well. And you just thinking there was like forty degree heat, and for to go that far, the players just you know they were dead on the feet at sixty minutes with the heat. You know, they played it earlier than what they usually would. It was a bit of a dark art situation because I remember they clearly, obviously, we had them rattled because, strangely enough, the air conditioning didn't work in the way changing room, right. and it was 48 degrees in the changing room. In players, there was a fridge and a freezer. Players were putting shirts in the freezer to put on when they went out, and it was, you know, and then you walk past their changing room, you could feel the, you'd feel a cold coming out because clearly there, you know, there were generator, blah blah blah. They were clearly rattled. They were drawn nil nil, yeah. and then certainly when it got to half time, and you know there was, you could just feel the atmosphere just absolutely go completely dark at half time. You know, they, they had six or seven of their officials standing there waiting for the manager to come in the players to come in and you could see on their face that certainly this wasn't part of the plan and you know and obviously it didn't work out for in the end and you know and, and we've got to be 3-0 in the end but to, to take them to you know a game in three quarters if you like at 0-0 was, was a great achievement 
We'll go, um, we'll talk by one question. Um, you had Bratislava, and then Vidnyanton, and then Applewell. How, how did you feel every single draw that like you were getting a, a big team? It was something that, it's a challenge, which like I said, myself and Carl are both ambitious, the players were ambitious. So it was it was something where we thought, right, okay, we're, we're picking our wits against some of the best European clubs at that level, not the next level, as in the boss, as the Real Madrid, so, so on and so forth, but the second tier of the best European teams. And it was a great opportunity to, to showcase players, showcase our club, showcase Wales, and showcase our coaching skills in... That's that's how we're seen. It was seen as a challenge to meet on head on. It was never never once did we think, oh god, what what's happening here? We're going to get hammered. But you know, we, we always had a a game plan. We always had the players where we thought we could give a good account ourselves, and everything went right. We could possibly get a get a result. A bit like video ton away. We drew nil nil. We got beat one nil at home. Yeah. Then we beat them one nil away in ninety yeah. minutes, and then we got beaten extra time. Which which was a tough one. That was probably the. The best result I had in Europe. Obviously, I think Applewell at home, nil nil, is a fantastic result. But to go away in 90 minutes and beat the Hungarian champions, Videoton, one nil, with a Matty Williams goal, was a you know was a fantastic achievement. How did you approach the away leg, Vidnyanson, when you lost one nil? It was were that was one of the games where we thought we could expose them from set players maybe being a little bit more direct and asking more questions. Normally, a TNS team would get a free kick halfway line, wherever I put your hand on a play, but we were more conscious that they had one, they had a big centre-half um, who played, he was a Hungarian champion at the time, I can't, I can't remember the guy's name now, to, but in that was their only real physicality, so we thought we could expose that a little bit. In we played well on the night, we did, we scored from a second phase corner, Matty Williams I think, the ball had come out, we'd gone, recycled it, come back up the left and there was a cross come in and Matty, Matty Williams had a tap in at the back post and that, that was probably my biggest and best feeling in European football, getting that goal because there was no doubt about it, we were on top at that time, I think it was, I think it was, about the, it was either the 69th or 79th minute that we scored that goal in we'd had a couple of half opportunities to go and win the game and I just thought when it went extra time they gained a little bit more composure and would possibly just out of our grasp but we you know we, we went on and still created Sam Finley got unfortunately sent off an extra time which didn't help with I'm not saying it, it, you know but that was a, a great opportunity to probably I would have said would have been by a million miles the biggest result in Welsh football in Europe if we had a went through that night against Videoton. Um, would you say, what was the um, the feeling like at, when you scored and then the final whistle went? Was the crowd like it was silent? it was it was devastating? I'd say I think it really did. I think if anything, that took me three, four, five weeks to get out of my system personally. Okay. And the and I think the players and in the staff because we were so close, closer than we'd ever been to getting through that next one again. I can't remember who we were going to, who we were playing. It might have been 
Boris have back there in the next round, I think. But that would have been the playoff, I think, to get into the group stage of the Europa League. So we're one game away from that. And, and to be to come back in away from home and and we did have them on I'm not saying they were defending for the life, but we had them rattled and we had the opportunity. I, I, I certainly believe we were the better team from scoring onwards. And then, you know, and it did it did I remember it, it did it did knock the stuffing out of myself and I think that the players and the in the team for a good four or five weeks afterwards. Was it more gutting that like you were that close and then Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Obviously, the closer you get, the the more devastated you're going to be when you don't quite get over that line. Obviously, there was times when you're talking, for instance, the um, the Legia Warsaw game, it's 3 1 and having to go there. We've got a massive hill to climb. We could almost go there and enjoy it and, and whatever come about, come about. We're not going to say that at the time. I don't think any professional would. You're always going to say the right things in the game, blah, blah, blah. You score the first goal, say what happens. All the usual, the, the usual spiel. But we really did think then we had enough to, to, to go and do that because I think that was the closest, really. And then obviously, Applewell, it was nil nil. But again, it was a strong team where Videoton wasn't quite as strong as what um, Applewell were at the time. Would you say um, the Applewell at home when you drew nil nil? Yeah. Would you? How? How would you compare that to Videoton? I, th- I, I think that was. If it was the ninety minutes, I would probably go Videoton away because to go and win away in ninety minutes, there's not many Welsh Premier League teams have done it in the history. I don't Just know how many. Months. That so in in Norway it yeah. it's Starback was it yeah. so there we go it would have been the, the the only ones at the time obviously nomads you know so 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 it would have been a fantastic achievement you know a team that had just been champions of the Hungarian league to go and beat them at their at their place and go through would have been you know a fantastic achievement but you know we, we, our downfall was getting beat one 0 in the first leg. You said that you changed your system for Applewell. Yeah. Was that just because of the quality? Yeah, it was. was yeah, it? we just felt we felt we needed to probably be a bit more compact, um, a bit more, make sure we stayed in the game for as long as we could, and and, and we we believe we would still create chances when when we received the ball, and we did. And I think I think at the time I, I don't want to. Um, I think it might have been uh, Wes Fletcher. And Greg Draper might have been the two centre forwards I played, and they both just dropped back on the midfielders and were counted from wide areas because we always had pace in wide areas. Jamie Mullin, Sisovich, yeah. you know, and we tried to almost draw them onto it to leave the space in behind and counter them. Greg's not slow. Wes Fletcher was quick, so we had a, a plan to be a counter-attacking team and almost give them not possession, but but give them almost a half. And then go and look to play in behind them when we could with with a quick counter attack. What was your thoughts after the game when you you know final whistle goes you draw nil nil? You had the little section behind the goal. Yeah. And you were you pleased that? You've yeah, I think we'd I, I think we'd do, I think we'd done my job. We've got the game plan spot on. The players have been fantastic. You know, there's always going to be times when you're playing teams of that quality that Paul had to make saves, players had to throw the body on the line. They've missed a couple of opportunities, but that happens in every football game, doesn't it? At the end of the day, you need to score a goal, and you know, and it, it just put them under pressure to ask the question away from home, and, and, and obviously they were feeling the pressure because you know, 64 minutes, and, and it was it was all to play for. 
did uh, Thomas Christensen speak to you after the game? He didn't yeah. really, nah. no. He didn't, nah. I, you know, I, which I, which I don't hold a grudge of because I could see and feel the pressure he was under. It was, it was huge. I've not seen anything like it, you know. And I was under a bit of pressure at Hartlepool, and he, but, but the pressure he was on from above, from the fans, from the media, it was, it was something that you know you could just sense. I remember coming into the into the training room at half time, and he was great. Walking in, you know, he, I really, he, it's, it's one of them he, that as a fellow manager, at some point you've been like that and you think, I don't envy him feeling the way he's feeling at this moment in time. And the look, he was grey, white, almost shell shocked. Do you think, like, you, I think you just said there, you, they, they, do you think they didn't take you seriously? Yeah, I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I did. I think they just turned up and, you know, and, and, and thought they were going to beat with, you know. Which, who's to say that they shouldn't have when they're that, that size, that, that size, and that yeah. far away from where you know, as in like, on the on the ladder of European clubs. You know, but but yeah, I don't think they did, and I think you know the the nearly got bitten on the backside from it, which would have been catastrophic for them. You um, you had that season. Um, you won the won the league. Yeah, and then Hartlepool. Came yeah, you've missed out a world record in between. Oh, I act as well. The I act one. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll talk about the world record size of Ajax, size of CNS. Yeah. What was it like? Look, no one. I think anyone would be in the wrong. In the, sorry, they wouldn't be in their right mind to think at any point that anyone seriously compared TNS to Ajax Football Club. You know, there was a lot of banter and there's a lot of you know jovial crack between everyone in getting compared to Ajax not don't get me wrong it couldn't be any further from the truth but to actually be involved with that was 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 unbelievable because at any level winning 27 games in a row is a is an unbelievable achievement you know and to 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 go 27 games in a row and win and to break a record it's, it's something you don't you know you, you're certainly not coming into football to you coming to win trophies but you know to, to actually break that record was a bit surreal really because we broke it I think it was against Kevin Druids away but we still we still hadn't won the league I think we might have won the league cup by then I think it was one of the treble so, yeah. the, the double treble yeah in we had a job to do it was probably me going right okay well done lads brilliant now we move on the whole club moves on we maybe can reflect on that when we win the league at the end of the season and we can give each other a pat on the back but we'll move on and we've got two trophies to go and win which we did that season and, and I don't think anyone really grasped the enormity of it at the time because we still had our bread and butter to do and it was one of them that you just get on with it and you know and you, you, you congratulate each other after but it's a fantastic achievement for every player, member of staff in the football club that was involved in it. You, it was Kevin Druid's away. Yeah. Was um, What was it like building up into that week? Was a lot of people talking about yeah. it? Yeah. Was it just keep the players two feet on the ground and just... Yeah, I, I thought it... Because it wasn't... Don't get me wrong, I would have been devastated if we hadn't done it because we got so close to it. If we had a fell at the final hurdle, it would have been a kick in the teeth. But because there wasn't any real gain yeah. to it, it was just one of them things that we only really start talking about with five, six games left to break the record. 
in the it was always like right okay well that's a second th- on the night obviously it was like probably the main crux of the team talk yeah opportunity to go and win the game or go and break a record you know you don't get that very often but the three or four games beforehand it was like we need points domestically to win the league we need to keep picking three points up picking three points up and then almost just took over with two or three games left and it was added to the team talk with three or two games left and I think the Druids won it was probably just everything based around that because by that far I think we were that far ahead of the league that we would have to do something catastrophic not to win the league and go and get an opportunity that you don't not many people know how many people there's what that group that was involved 40 people from top to bottom yeah hold a or what in the team that holds a world record for consecutive wins out of you know the whole of domestic football across the world top level it's you know it's a bit surreal when you talk yeah, about yeah. and think yeah, about course, it and, yeah. you know so so no, it was a fantastic achievement um were you aware at all you were close or was it five or six games probably ten games ten games I think it was ten games someone mentioned it off the cuff quite you know just an off the cuff comment and you know and then obviously we won again then won again then won again and everyone you know that we won escalated and snowballed and you know until like I said it probably only got mentioned in the dressing room openly with four or five games leading up to it. We're going to Hartlepool now. Yeah. How was there, did you know anything before the end of the season or was it no. just... No, there'd been opportunities for me previous, well, that close, which I'm not going to name, that I think there was three or four opportunities before that to, to that had been interest from other English clubs, conference basically. And for whatever reason, I never thought it was right. I didn't. Were you, did you get offered to go? Yeah. Or was it yeah. just an interview? Yeah. Nah, they uh, offered the job on two two occasions and I never thought it was right. And I just thought mainly was because when it did happen, it was in season. Right. I probably wouldn't, unless it was the ultimate job, I probably wouldn't have left TNS in mid-season anyway. Obviously, it was the end of season. We were building up for the Champions League game in... It it just it, it come around very very quickly, very quickly and you know and they approached me. I interviewed. They offered me the job. Um. In agreed a severance payment with TNS, as in not a severance payment, but I think I think Hartlepool paid twenty twenty five thousand pound for my compensation to get out of the contract at the time. Signed three year contract with Hartlepool, and you know it was it was, it was probably time. At the time, you know, people say to me, "Do you regret it?" I don't regret it. Football wise, I regret it probably because the upheaval I put my family through. Seven-year-old little girl, wife that worked very hard over ten years to to grow a business in Chester, almost had to leave it behind. Didn't have to, but we'd made decisions as a family. That's what we're going to do. Move my little girl out of a school. Moved everyone up to Durham on the pretense of the club was stable and we're going to move forward and it was going to be a building block and they were fed up of nine managers in ten seasons. Yeah. There was something we needed to they needed to have a bit of a bit of foundations and bring a young manager in and have it over a long term three years basically, you see, you know, to get back into that football league. You know, and, and obviously it didn't turn out that way. So from a football point of view I was ready. I was wanting to go. I'd, it got to the point of where probably you, you probably people who know me 
maybe you've seen it with me, but people who just know me from a football side wouldn't recognise that probably the, the last two years at TNS, I can't remember ever really enjoying winning football games. It was right, we've won, we'll move on the next day and we're going to win on Saturday and we're going to win on Saturday and we're going to win the following Saturday and I'm not going to get carried away and I'm not going to enjoy it because I want to, as a personal ambition, to get the opportunity to move to a bigger club to into England, into the Football League in like we talked about from the days at Airbus, yeah. burning that, that burning sensation of I'm going to fulfil my managing coaching career because I didn't as a player. So probably the last two two years, even though we won everything, was probably the the byproduct of me being so obsessed with just winning football games because I want that opportunity to move on. I want that opportunity to move on, and I think that rubbed up on other people in the in the relentlessness of it. Obviously, you know, had a had a massive positive effect on the players. You know where. I probably only realised coming out of Hartlepool, coming at Nomads in a different role where there's obviously you're not the manager so you've got a little bit more leeway and I've actually enjoyed my role there yeah. with a full-time club, Yeah. enjoyed it, being back on the grass on a full-time basis where previously at Hartlepool obviously bang at in between which that was a very strange situation for me because it was not the club's fault, not my fault. I'd probably been out of part-time football too long to go back into a part-time situation without preparing myself better for it, if you like. Yeah. Not preparing myself as in like doing your due diligence, knowing what the teams are like at our level, no, no leaving myself exposed to this, that and the other. Prepare myself mentally to go back to what we talked about with Airbus. Yeah. I'd been out of, I'd been in coaching and managing for seven years on a full-time basis that to jump back into part-time was was a was a big mistake on my behalf, possibly on Bangor City's behalf as well, because it was, you know, you, you looked at it and you, you're probably thinking, most successful domestic manager, all his trophies he won. Massive club banger, great fan base, massive fan base. For me, the biggest domestic club, like I've just said, in Welsh football, still now, with everything. But to go back into, not the club, but the situation the club found itself in, in a part-time basis, then I don't think mentally I prepared myself for that and I struggled. just want to go back to Hartley. Yeah. Um, I saw... When you had your end of season um, presentation at yeah. CNS, Jeff was yeah. the guest. Yeah. Did it, was that where it all started? Or? No, it wasn't. It's just how things have worked themselves out. Fate, obviously, uh, Jeff um, Stelm was the guest speaker on my table with my wife. Talked quite a lot with Jeff. She sat two, three seats away, but just general football stuff. Obviously, he must have seen something in and liked what I said and heard to go back to the powers I paid Hartlepool to say, look, you know, you need to at least speak to Craig. You're young and up-and-coming manager, this is what, you know, I was very impressed with him, so on and so forth, blah, 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 blah. And obviously he had an influence in it. Yeah. And, then, and then it went from there. But there was nothing 
there was nothing said. It was just literally a, a football conversation. You know, he was taught, obviously he's a he's a huge Hartlepool fan. He's obviously well known on TV. We're talking about football in general. We're talking about the achievements at TNS. We're talking about the Welsh League. We're just talking about everything generally, football. And obviously, I said something or conducted myself in a in a, a good manner for him to think, and I put a good word in for Craig basically. Yeah. So how did that? How did Hartlepool? come in for you did they just it, approach yeah via via my agent you know asked me to to come and speak to them I spoke to Mike Harris let him know that Hartlepool were interested did I could I speak to them Mike said yes he didn't want us to but he said yes and within 24-40 hours it was everything was all done and dusted you know the last thing was to do was to agree a, a compensation package from Hartlepool to TNS that was done and then literally it was it was less than a week from start to finish the whole process like I said you know I was completely focused on preparing for European football I think we're only two weeks away from the European football yeah. we went through pre-season and, and brought players in and everything and, and then you know sometimes these things just happen and you know and possibly at the time you know did I let me heart rule my head possibly but Hartlepool's a massive football club and just being relegated from the conference sorry from to the conference from the football league from that area not a million miles away Gated 25-30 miles away being a, a North East lad still known people up there parents sister friends still from that area I thought I could I thought it was a good fit I thought it was a good fit you know and I, and I, and I actually think longer term it would have been a good fit you know they're just the things that went along there along the way you know quite quickly we're talking four or five months in were absolutely comical so you know it was one of them things from, from a manager's point of view yes I made mistakes without a shadow of a doubt but it was always a, a long term project that you know, a con you know, if I'd have, if I'd have been a mid if I'd have finished mid table, which I believe we could have, no problem at all, then we could go again and we could just like grow organically as a football club and and then move forward again. You almost are looking back I made the analogy of, of that if you're gonna move forward not not only have you got to be still but you've got to stop going in reverse first yeah. you know and there was lots of things at the football club that was going backwards 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 that were there before me and are still there now yeah so we almost went you were almost expecting to go from reverse into fifth gear and go flying yeah. it just was never going to happen looking back hindsight and you know and, and maybe that concentration from the top to the to the bottom should have been not getting straight back in the Football League but stopping this club from deteriorating because it had been for four or five years the previous two or three years just missed out on relegation last game of the season yeah. last game of the season and, and it just gradually for four or five years been going down manager sacked new manager coming in manager sacked big turnover players it was just a constant wheel of manager sacked new players just missing out on relegation obviously you can only do that for so long got dropped out of the league and I think Everyone at the football club, including myself, was right. Can we go straight back up? Where looking back now, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Could we consolidate consolidated in the league, and then again, could we go for playoffs? Then could we try and get promoted? But it wasn't. That's not the way it was. And like I said, the best analogy I've got is it. 
if you're reversing, you, you don't just go from reversing to fifth gear and go forward. Yeah. You stop and you go through the gears and you move forward. And, and I think hindsight's a wonderful thing. What was the target to go straight back up? Yeah. Did you find that hard because of uh, no, n- n- no, because I was obviously... Uh, it worked in a, in a positive and also a negative, you know. If I'd have probably looked into it a little bit more about how many managers the club had had in a short space of time, I probably wouldn't have took the job, looking yeah. back. I probably would not because they'd had nine managers in ten years. And you're looking at now, they've had 12 managers in ten years. Yeah, you know, because the, the from me gone. Yeah, um, Matthew Bates. He's gone. Yeah, Richard Money. Yeah, Craig Hinton in between and Craig Hinton again. So I've been gone for just over well, it's near enough a year. Yeah, and they've had foot. They've had three other managers in between that. Yeah, that's not good for any football club. No, no. You know, at any level. So behind the scenes, there's. Different owners, the, you know, they had a fantastic owner for a long period of time, and then they had an owner that the was up and down. Then a new owner come in, and when I met the new owner, you know, there was a three-year plan. Yeah. There was the the moving forward, and and can we get promoted? And can we get up first time asking? Second time you lose your fund. I think it's the second or third year you lose money and revenue and funding for the academy. So the so really we needed to get back up as quick as we could but it was it was just you know it was a bit shambolic really looking back you know it was it was um, like I said we all want to need to walk before we can run in May like I said I, I made many mistakes myself but I think the needs that football clubs needs needs a long term vision and stick with someone whether that be Craig Higgins moving forward now or whoever it might be for a two or three year period because factually that's how teams succeed. Chelsea are probably the only one in modern day football that sack a manager move on win a cup sack a manager move, and it always, always helps when you've got Roman Abramovich as billions. So you know it's it's something it's something that I've got no doubt about a long term I would have succeeded with. So we'll talk about the summer. Yeah. Uh, when you got it, you brought Jake Cassin. Yeah. Was was he a, a target you you were after? And you yeah. Felt he would get the goals for you. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much goals because you know I've knew Jake for a long, long time. I was Going obviously uh, Airbus, and yeah. within weeks he was moved on to Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah. So I've got a personal relationship with Jake as well as as well as a professional one. So I knew in in, in I know and knew Jake hasn't got the best goal scoring record in the world. But he was a target man, he was a he was a base to play from, he was someone where we could, you know, you, you look at it and it it always all the TNS teams I played with, I think twenty five goals was the highest goal scorer. Greg Draper in the first Draper. year, Michael Wilde twenty three, twenty four in the second year. But if you look at how dominant TNS were in the time, yeah. you'd expect players scoring 30, 40 goals. That centre forward for the way I wanted to play. Obviously, he's a goal scorer, but he's more than that. He's somewhere, someone that we need to be to use to hold the ball up. We need to be to play through. We need to be to hold the ball up from wingers to come from outside in and penetrate from that side. So it's not always about that. Isn't that that fox in the box goal scorer to score you 35, 40 goals? And I knew Jake wasn't going to do that. I'd expect him to score double figures. No problem with that. But I expected other players as well. To score more goals as well, so you know the style and the way I wanted to play was a four-three-three style. In 
it was tough. It, it was tough because, you know, a lot of players found it hard to play at home in front of 5,000 Hartlepool supporters that hadn't had major success. The backwards pass, yeah. the misplaced pass, the atmosphere changed, and you need players that are going to step up to the mark and want the ball and be responsible. And it's, it didn't happen. You know, we, we didn't win for the first five games, and I changed a little bit of style and a little bit of philosophy of, of, of being a bit more direct and then playing in the opposition's half where there was less pressure on the players more than anybody else. You know, and, and then I could have clarity, and people weren't hiding. And the, in, in, you know, it wasn't. I always knew I was never going to be a player a free flowing TNS style. You know, it's 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 almost impossible, I think, to take that mould and go from there and do that. You know, the the unique unique brand that has that has evolved over 10, 12, 13 years. In in this had a long time, and the players have been there, and in the styles just moved on a little bit, tweaks here, tweaks there. So, so that was never going to be to go in in the national league. It's not a, you know, there's three teams playing football in that league that year, and you couldn't ask for contrasting. Walking got relegated, Mattersfield got promoted, and Dagenham Redbridge finished in the middle. Apart from that, there wasn't many other teams that actually played football. Yeah. You know, were a possession-based team, and I just felt early on I went in and had a way I wanted to play. Found out quite quickly it wasn't going to be like that because of multiple reasons. League, pressure of playing that, and changed a little bit, and then we went on a great run. We, I think we won 13 games unbeaten, winning nine, and with three or four places from the playoffs. Um, and then it just all started to go. I remember it was a very, very strange, strange um, scenario. We were playing Halifax at home, and I think we we're well into our run. In we're winning three 0 just for half time, and by that time, because we went on a good run, it was easier to play more football. There wasn't the demands of getting the ball up front, and there wasn't the, there wasn't the, there was a bit more relaxed about the players and a bit more belief. So, and I remember standing there, and it was the fourth official put two or three minutes up on the as time added on. In I've sort of communicated the players on the pitch, keep the ball. Don't give them anything to come in. If they score a goal, they've got a tails up second half. We're against it. 3 0, so we've kept the ball for a little bit. And we've went all the way back to the goalkeeper. And I remember the whole crowd go, ooh, almost like a boo, because we've not been going forward. And I was just thinking, wow, we're winning 3 0. Yeah. You know, we won 5 0 in the end at home. It's not often hard to win 5 0 at home at any level. And it's like, it's going to be a tough uphill battle. Whether we win, whether we don't win, it's going to be you know, tough. And, and actually, um, Funny enough, after that, after that game, the uh, chair lady come and spoke to us and said, um, "Craig, I need to speak to you tomorrow. The players off. Yes, players off. I was in preparing for the game, and we met at the training ground and basically said the owners pull his money out. This was the Wednesday. The players were supposed to get paid on the Friday. Basically, the chair lady said the players aren't getting paid on Friday. Can you let them know?" <laughs> What was what was that like then? It it become consuming completely in the end because that went from November till the day I left in what was it for March, February. For the end of February. Yeah. So there was like four or five months of like battle, on on battle on battle. Yes, players got played, but it was late, doubling up a month, sometimes 
the players were only guaranteed to be paid on time if we had two home games in one month because of the revenue coming through the door. It was just, you know, we lost players. We're, we had a transfer embargo because the, the people in charge of the football club let the National League know that the for advice more than anything else that the owner had pulled out. Straight away they were concerned about finances, transfer embargo, which no one knew. From the from the 1st of December, we had a transfer embargo till the right to the end of the season. So I was dealing with December, January, February, March, sorry, December, January, February, with a transfer embargo. What, I get rid of some of our better players, Nicky Devidex went to Wrexham, because yeah. they paid money for him to bring revenue in. Um, Michael Ledger was on loan from Sunderland, had to go back because that loan was only till the 1st of January. Keith Watson, who was on loan from St Johnson, both them we sent off partnership, had to go back to St Johnson. Jonathan Franks only signed a, a contract till January, couldn't renew that contract. He scored a 7-8 goals in a, a 12-game period, won with lots of points. Obviously, like I just said, Nicky, so you've got five players there that were starting every week. All of a sudden, had to go back. We couldn't bring anyone in, and players not getting paid, and you know it was just a, it was just a complete a mess. You know the point of, you know, Wi-Fi being cut off at the training ground. We we travel to Dagenham Redbridge on the day from Hartlepool. Then back in the same day, we get to Dagenham Redbridge and we had no warming up gear because the laundry hadn't been paid and they kept the kit. So it was just, it was an absolute mess, a complete and utter mess, you know, and it was, it was something that it, it drained us completely of, it was almost like football was uh, irrelevant. It was trying to make sure these lads got paid to look after their families, make sure the club survived and doing everything we could. And I don't think any of the lads didn't give everything they could on a Saturday. The way I've described it, and I've done it with Jamie on, the, the best description would be, so you've got the build-up of the game, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's the building blocks to go to a Saturday. Saturday, I think everyone was switched on and everyone was give everything, but... I know for a fact that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday was people were absent-minded, training wasn't as good as what it could have been. It just, and you lost 15, 20% with the process, so naturally that Saturday isn't going to be as good. And, you know, it coincided with, with losing football games and not winning football games. And, you know, and it was an easy option for people to make as an excuse, you know, which, you know, I didn't want to do and I didn't, you know, we just wanted to get on with it and, in 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 win football games for for everyone, but you know, and I think there was the all time low with the Wrexham game at home, where it was um, the club was like, I think we played Chester. This was another surreal moment. We're playing Chester away with St David's Park Hotel, having pre match. We travelled up on the day, pre match there. There was a guy, a local guy, businessman who had near enough agreed to take over the club. Lads hadn't been paid the month before. In there was a real talk of the club just going bankrupt, where everyone's contract wouldn't have cared. You would have been, you wouldn't, your money you were owed or anything, your contract would have been ripped up, and it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have mattered. In it was close, and that was going to happen. Then I remember we were sitting having pre-match, 
meal in St David's and my wife texting saying, whatever you do, try not to let lads look on social media. So I'm out the room, spoke to the wife because she texted and said, can you ring us? The lads were just having a bit of downtime after after pre-match I've come back in the room and everyone was on the phone and there was a big thing come out that this guy had put on his Twitter feed on his Facebook feed that no I'm not going to invest in Hartlepool because there's no accountability of where the money's going and I can't see a future moving forward obviously it was like you know lowers a snake's belly again we drew 1-1 on the night and then I think the next game was Wrexham and there was a huge thing where the Middlesbrough supporters were fantastic because there was a bit of history that I'm sure Middlesbrough let Hartlepool play I'm sure, sorry, Hartlepool let Middlesbrough play at um, their stadium when Middlesbrough went bankrupt yeah. in the 80s, was it? I think, I think the so, 86, yeah. I think it was so a lot of Middlesbrough supporters Middlesbrough had a away game that day Middlesbrough supporters come there was six and a half, seven thousand people there in it it the club went on for another month because of the revenue that come on, you know, but it was just like we were poor on the day as a football club. All the hype that went along with it just it was just draining, completely draining. It was it was just like, you know football wise, it, you know, there's probably forty to thirty percent was football and the rest was just trying to keep the lads motivated on a personal point of view, answering as many questions as possible about when they're getting paid, who's getting paid, waves not happy about it, families to look after, yeah. so on and so forth. No excuse, definitely made mistakes. Would never say, you know, but I believe that if that hadn't happened, the facts are when you look at it, we'd had a great run up until November in the day that we were told we weren't getting paid, it went downhill. Last game was uh, Halifax, yeah. Lost two 0 Yeah. What was? When did you get aware of that? Was the last you game? know, obviously we did, we didn't play very well. Um, it was a poor result. We were dropping down the table, and I still believe it would have been more than fine, no problem at all. I still believe we wouldn't have wouldn't have got into a relegation battle. But it was the day after the chair lady rang us and said um, could we speak to you tomorrow I said yeah no problem and um, had the conversation obviously they'd seen how devastated I was that night about getting beat um, low as it can be but I was you know had a conversation no I'm I'm not going to walk away I wouldn't walk away you know from a situation like that um, this is it I'm going to you know I'm going to fight and I'm going to you know, and, and then the, 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 the sort of morning sort of moved on and then there was just a conversation that, no, look, we're going to go another way and we're going to relieve you of your duty and, you know, and that's it. You know, it's the first time I've been sacked. The first time, the first time, strange enough, which is quite weird and quite funny, the first time ever in my football career that I've been told I wasn't good enough at something because, obviously, I finished with a career in, end in injury. I never finished a career where you get released from here, you're looking for a contract there, you're looking for a contract. I went right the way through. I've always been wanted. Yeah. And had reasonable success. Airbus success. TNS success. And then I go there and obviously first time you've been sacked as a manager. And as they say, you've, you, you're not a proper manager until you've been sacked. And inevitably it's going to happen in the industry and you know and it was it was tough but you know it was just one of them 
situations that it's part and parcel of the the job we're in. It's going to happen. You know, it's going to happen at some point. You gotta, you know, it's, you gotta get on with it. I think that the the worst bit for me after that was the was the the way the club conducted themselves after that. The, I didn't get paid for four months. Literally didn't get paid. I've got a family to look after. Yeah. In for whatever reason they decided they weren't going to pay me. I had no communication. You know, I battled with the PFA, the LMA, which were fantastic for me. And um, in the end, I got paid what I was due. But I don't know how they expected to treat someone like that. That they're just yeah, not going to pay you for some reason. You know, yes. Did I fail? Yes. You know, the remit was obviously there was a mitigating circumstances as well. But, you know, I signed a three-year contract, you know, and they were decided with a new owner coming in that I was being pushed to the back of the queue. And it was, I think it was three or four months, certainly three months, possibly in the fourth month, that everything got agreed and I got paid what I was due. But I had to go then three or four months. So it wasn't, it was almost like a lingering, a lingering sort of torture because if it had just been done, they're right, Craig, thanks, no thanks, we agreed this, we're moving on, there's your money. There's a situation I could have put it to bed, but you know, I was on gardening leave. With gardening leave, you're supposed to be paid. You can't take another job. I wasn't getting paid. I hadn't they hadn't gives a a, um, a pay up or anything. It was just luck, Craig. In that I couldn't speak to anyone at the club. No one. It'd been a new owner come in. Um, he was working through a solicitor, who I spoke to every now and then. They were just batting it back with the same old rubbish. And it just, you know, and it, it just went on like that, you know, and obviously I've got a family to, to look after. Has it, um, well, well, we'll talk about Bangor in a yeah. minute. Um, talking about the confidence, and yeah. good friend of yourself, uh, Carl Darlington. Yeah. yeah. And Wrexham, how do you think he's doing at Wrexham? Yeah, done great, done brilliant, you know, that they have, you know, you know, very, very similar club, Hartlepool Wrexham. Big expectations, obviously, Wrexham being in that league for 10 years plus now, you know, but the, the, they've still got a massive fan base and hopefully this is the year that they get out of it, you know, and Carl's done brilliant, you know, Carl's, Carl's as good a coach, if not the best coach I've worked with, you know, so he's um, he's top draw and, and we're still good friends now and, you know, and I thought at one point Wrexham was the direction I might have got the opportunity in, it was close at one point, I must admit it was very close and it just didn't happen for whatever reason. In in sort of moved on and in in you know, Carl's doing a fantastic job there and I hope hopefully they're in a great position they get promoted this year and, and get back in the league because seeing firsthand a club the size of Wrexham with being Hartlepool being out the league then you know the football league would be a better place with with a Hartlepool with a Wrexham in there the fans they take, the size of the club, the history of the clubs and hopefully Carl can get them over the line with, with Brian at this moment in time. Do you see Carl as going into management or just Carl coach? never Carl was never really interested in you know, I believe Carl got in offered the manager's job at Wrexham on more than one occasion in between when yeah. managers have left and he's done a little job as interim or whatever he's been offered. He's got a fantastic job with FAW Trust, um which he's high up in and he's well Respected, and cause never really, to my knowledge, and in in our good friends, that he's never wanted to be a manager. So there might be a time when he does. You know, Carl's younger than me. Carl must be what thirty seven, thirty eight. Carl's two or three years younger than me, so he's still got time. He loves his job. 
he's got a fantastic job and you know he's very very good at it and also he's he's having the opportunity to work as in on the core face if you like with Kevin Drewitz, Airbus, TNS, Wrexham in in to be to to do the dual role in in that and that's obviously he's been successful as well and you know it's it, it's working at this moment in time. So, you know, I, I probably at some point I think he might do but I can't see it being the next five five years or so I think, you know, he's he's probably gonna be well in his forties before he's probably gonna make that jump. So you leave Hartlepool. Yep. Banger get demoted to yep. the huge grey. Why Banger from Hartlepool? A had been through a lot at Hartlepool, um, emotionally. Didn't didn't think I was given a fair crack at it. Um, wanted to get back involved with with football ASAP. Something that I've 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 been involved with from the day I was at Airbus nearly ten years ago. Banger, huge club, fantastic club, biggest domestic football club in Wales, biggest and best following in Wales, supporters wise. Fantastic stadium, everything. Obviously, it did, it wasn't ideal getting demoted, but I I wouldn't have went to probably any other Welsh club in that situation apart from Bangor City because how big it was. Had lots of conversation with Stephen Vaughan Junior. Got on really well with him. Very ambitious. Knows his football. I think people forget that about Stephen. Sometimes he's played at a good level. Um. Was very interested in the coaching process himself, doing his coach education, and it just seemed a good fit at the time. You know, it was it was something that I, you know, that opportunity to go right. Had a bit of a blip in my career. I'm going to take Bangor City back into the Welsh Premier League, and we're going to kick on from there. So, um, Connors Key came. Yeah. In, uh, can't remember where it was. Not November. Yes, it would have been. Yeah. November. Yeah. Yeah. Why um, leave Bangor to go to? As we, as I spoke to, as we spoke about earlier, purely and simply, the chance to be involved in full time football again. Every day, I really, really struggled. It, 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 it wasn't the football club Bangor. It was the process of being back involved with part time football. Yes, Bangor supporters might say you knew that before you were going in there. Yes, I did. But the realism. Not the players, not the club, but the realism of me as a person of going back to a Tuesday and Thursday night was a real tough, tough situation to be in for myself. Don't want anyone to feel sorry for us from no stretch of imagination, but it was something that I probably didn't mentally prepare myself for in jumping into the banger job because it was a great opportunity, great football club, and I didn't possibly think it through the situation of being a part-time manager and it was something that from very very early on I struggled with from very very early on probably within the first four weeks I probably knew that this is going to be a much bigger challenge on myself than I ever imagined going back into that mentality of part-time football, going back in that mentality of, unfortunately, lads have got jobs, kids, yeah. other priorities. Factually, it's probably their third most important thing in their life. Families, obviously, first. Secondly, their main income to look after their family. And thirdly, football, which, again, it was something 
I could relate to because I had a family then. I understand my daughter is the most important thing in my life, but football is a very, very, very close second, you know, yeah. to the point of where I think my wife feels a bit put out sometimes because it's 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 sort of my daughter, football, and my wife. So it's it was one of them that the the opportunity to go back in full time football was something that. I felt I couldn't I couldn't turn down for 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 myself more selfishly, and probably for the sake of banger because I, the mentality of uh, the frustrations were there quite early on about being a full time wanting to be a full time club, wanted to have as much contact time with the players as possible, wanted them to be solely focused on being a footballer, and obviously it wasn't going to happen. I knew that from the start. But the reality of me thinking I could deal with that and the reality of actually getting into that situation was, was there was a big gulf in that. So it was nothing to do with anything but getting the opportunity to work every day in football again. I'm, I'm just, just as I'm speaking to you, if uh, an opportunity came up, would you have to consider that if you were a part-time, if they were a part-time club? If who was a part-time club? To go back into... Into management? No. No? No. So, you'd go back into a part-time club if Tuesday, Thursday? No, I wouldn't. You wouldn't? Ideally, I wouldn't, sorry. No. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I wouldn't. Ideally, I wouldn't. Don't get me wrong, at the end of the day, there's plenty of part-time clubs out there that are massive clubs, but yeah. with being so fresh in my mind regarding the, the banger situation, there was, one, there was one club that I could have went to when I was at TNS in the English system, but they weren't full-time. They were a conference club, but they were full-time. And that was my main factor about not going then. In being involved with full-time football in some way, shape or form is something that I don't think I could... Don't, don't think that would get the best out of me. You know, the best out of me, even in the position I'm in now, as not being the manager, being the assistant manager, first-team coach, whatever, you know, uh, out on the pitch with the players every day. I'm taking sessions. I'm heavily involved. Um, I'm very fortunate that Andy it takes my opinion on board. You know, obviously I've got a lot of experience. You know, a lot of experience at a full-time club where Connorsky on the transition of if hopefully in the next 12 to 18 months will be a completely full-time club, challenging for the title. You know, and, and and Andy takes on board my opinions and bounces things off myself in Jay. You know, so I'm I'm in a very privileged position that. That I've got a lot of experience for for to be called on from from a point of view of that, in in obviously being successful as a manager as well, and understand as a manager what it takes to support your manager as an assistant, as a coach, whatever it may be, in in that you know, I would rather be in that situation in a full time football club than be. Uh, um, you can't you could never say never. I would never say never, but. Ideally, I'm a, I'm in a situation where I'd rather be an assistant manager or coach at a full-time football club than a manager of a of an actual football club, part-time, because that's just the frustrations that were going on in my head. You've been there since November. Yep. We're now in uh, March. Yep. You're very close to securing the title. You've got TNS on Saturday. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I believe you've got a meeting this afternoon with. Uh, your management yes. to go over 
how's the preparations going? Good, brilliant. You know, we've got you know a fantastic set of players, real good group of players togetherness. They've obviously been together for a while with little tweaks, you know, and he creates a, a real you know, togetherness with the, with these teams, which I think you can see very dogged, very determined, very professional, very meticulous in preparation. Don't leave any stone unturned. I think gets a, a lot of um, probably unfair criticism about style. There's a lot of preparation goes towards that. It's not just right, we're just going to do this and it's going to be off the cuff and whatever happens, happens. You know, that it's meticulous, there's different scenarios, different situations that we need to create this situation to get that situation. Um, things are done with a purpose in an area. People are clear with their roles and responsibilities. So there's no right or wrong way to play football. Obviously at TNS, I was, I was a possession-based coach manager. I realised quite quickly at Hartlepool with the National League that it was very, very tough. Even the teams like Macclesfield who won the league were not pure possession-based. There's a time and a place when you're going to have to you know, go a bit longer, have a plan B, mix it up a little bit and not, not be predictable and not do that just because of physicality as well. You know, heavily, heavily set players. You know, I remember coming out the, of the tunnel the first game for Hartlepool in the National League. We played Dover at home, and I've never seen so big lads. I'm not, I'm not a small lad myself. I'm six foot one, and I'm stood there, and that was probably one of the smallest ones standing there, thinking, you know, all these big athletic lads, six foot three, six foot four, thinking, wow, you know, this is in that typified, on the whole, what that league was about. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of quality, a lot of quality, but. Games Saturday, Tuesday, travelling, Hartlepool, London, you know, Northwest, Midlands, blah, blah, blah. You know, so it's just a different. I got a flavour of not coming straight out of TNS where it was so unique in a niche market of, of fantastic football and possession based. So I've been fortunate to see both sides of it and, and I do appreciate the work Andy's doing regarding that. Maybe if I hadn't come out with T, if I hadn't come into the National League and straight from TNS I, I might have been a, possibly a bit more ignorant like some people are about the detail and the process that goes into it but obviously I was fortunate to work at that level which strange enough it's a, it's a, it's a mad situation isn't it? because at TNS when we won the double in the world record obviously my stock was quite high but I feel now I've had that year I'm no more and I'm a better coach manager than I was before that because I didn't have the experience of that. Yeah. But to the to the public and to the football world, because I've had a blip in my career, then I'm, my stock's probably not as high. It's, it's strange, but it should be higher than it was before because I've had that experience of almost failure and seeing a different type of football and being more knowledge about the National League being in it, more knowledge about League Two because I'm trying to bring players from there, more knowledge about Conference North, Conference South, so I'm trying to bring players there, being right in amongst it, but just the way football works, isn't it? It's the industry. So not to not to ver not to go off off beat there, but yeah, you know, it's it's um I'm in a I'm in a good position because like I said, you know, I've got a lot of respect for Andy. Me and Andy played together a long time ago. Andy's now ten years older than me, but we played together. And what he does is um, very meticulous and planned. It's not just off the cuff. You know, a lot of work and detail goes into it. Might not be everyone's cup of tea, but making 50, 60, 70 passes back through your goalkeeper in your own half 
might not be any someone else's cup of tea. It's how football is, and that's why the great sport and it's the biggest sport in the world because everyone's got a different opinion on it. Well, I'd like to thank you for no problem. for your time, Craig. Wish you all the best for the season, and uh, thanks for coming. Thank on the you very much. No problem.